Well, good morning, Greenwich. Today is Wednesday, February 10th. Welcome to the Basement Academy. Just a couple administrative notes before we dive into our morning psalm and study. Uh, we are inviting each of you who are listening to this, whether you are formerly a member of Greenwich or not, to respond to our congregational survey. We're trying to figure out just how folks are connecting to Greenwich so that we might minister more effectively to those, particularly who are not um, in person in worship or in some other uh, in-person Bible study. We're just trying to want to be faithful uh, to the congregation that God has given us or is giving us. And so if you'd take a few minutes uh, to do that, you can access it through our church website, our Facebook page as well, should have a link uh, to that survey. Our morning psalm, uh, is Psalm 130. Um, I think this is an important psalm that we should all pray at least once a month. <laughs> psalm 130, it, it's a pilgrim psalm and it, it, it speaks poignantly and tenderly of our need for God's forgiveness. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Amen. The waiting for the burden of guilt and shame to lift when we've done things we ought not do. Lord, if you kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Our, we, we know that. And so the waiting and watching, the good news that he himself has redeemed uh, Israel and the world from all their sins, God himself came in the person of Jesus. But it's this language of waiting and watching. Oh, we're in such a waiting and watching moment, aren't we? And the pandemic. And, it's, and a lot of folks don't like to wait and watch. But God does deep work there. So Psalm 130 is, is such an important psalm for us to know. Uh, and so I, I commend uh, its reading and, and praying to you. Well, uh, we're ask, answering questions uh, that, that are being put by the, uh, by the community. So my question is, this is day number three, uh, two questions. One has to do with um, Bible translations. The other comes out of a family context, more of a pastoral question and answer. Uh, the first has to do with... Um, Bible translations. Can you talk about different translations of the Bible, the history and how they came to be? Which do I use? Uh, the King James Version. Is it true that there are verses in there which are not in other translations? Yes, is the short answer. I've heard that there are new versions that don't have genders. Yes, also, but probably not in the way we fear. And then how should we select our Bible? So fantastic question. Thank you. Um, for the questioner who, who put this, because it's so important for us as people of the word to have scriptures that we can engage in. So, so 
Pretty simply, I would say, think of Bible translations on a spectrum, okay? From a very um, strict and literal translation to what would be more of a paraphrase or what's kind of a dynamic equivalence, okay? So the, the, the formal translation, the literal translation, sometimes comes, comes across like Yoda did the translating. Accurate Bible looking for you are? You know, it, it just, okay, you're looking for an accurate Bible, but, but sometimes you read like the New American Standard Bible, which is a, a, a very good Bible, um, but it comes across very stiff. And then you've got the dynamic equivalent, okay? There's kind of, you've got a formal equivalence and a functional equivalence. The dynamic uh, paraphrase, uh, so like John chapter 1, verse 14, um, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The message, which is kind of more of a paraphrase in places, Instead of the word became flesh and dwelt among us, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Okay, well, that's different. And so it's more idiomatic. It's trying to capture a sense. It's not a literal translation of the words, but it's trying to capture a sense of the words. Okay, because all translation requires decisions to be made about ranges of meaning. And so the Old Testament written in Hebrew, the New Testament written in Greek have to be translated. And as we know, words have ranges of meaning. So for instance, the English word run, that can mean just, you know, I went out for a run. You would say that we would know from the rest of the words around the word run that you're talking about going out and jogging, okay? I went out for a run. Oh, the preacher's words ran on and on and on. Okay, now it's the same word, past tense, ran on. But it's like now we're talking about not literally running, but just kept going and going and going. And I know my words and my studies run on sometimes, huh? Okay. Or the milk was spilt and, and it ran off the table. Well, the milk doesn't have legs, okay? Milk isn't words, but milk, it, it, it moved quickly. It ran off the table. And so run, one word, has and probably eight more ranges of meaning, right? So context is important. So in the work of translation, it's always done by a committee or a team, and they don't always agree fully on everything, and so sometimes there's footnotes, if you've noticed, because that's where... You know, a, a committee will vote, or the team will essentially decide which rate, which which sense of the word we want here. Because you're taking a Hebrew word to an English word, a, a Greek word to an English word, and so the different translations are making different choices about which English word best captures the sense of the original. Hebrew or Greek, okay? So it's it's just that simple. So if you've ever watched a speech being translated, you, you will see the translator is, they're trying to capture what they're saying, what's the best English word to capture the sense of that uh, speech or that, that sentence that, that the speaker uh, in another language has offered. So, so that's 
So that's uh, what that's kind of how our translations uh, come to be. And so let me just I've got a chart in front of me. So the kind of the formal literal it would be the New American Standard, the King James or like the New King James, uh, the Revised Standard Version. Um, they would lean in that more uh, literal, maybe a little stiffer. So that's in the King James. I know there's a question about are there verses in there that aren't in other uh, Bibles, but the King James is so beautiful in so many places, but so dense and unreadable in others. For me, okay, not maybe not for you, but but for me, um, on the. Um, kind of on that dynamic end of the spectrum. You've got the message, you've got the living Bible, you've got the new living translation. Um, remember the good news Bible from all those years ago? It had the little pictures in it. Um, that was one of the first Bibles I read. Um, uh, the contemporary English version, the CEV. And so, and so those are more dynamic. They move in places towards a paraphrase. Less concerned about the literal word-for-word -word translation more concerned with carrying a meaning into our language. Then in the middle, you've got things like the, the new uh, international uh, version. Um, uh, you've got the Jerusalem Bible. I think that's uh, a lot of our Roman Catholic friends have access to the um, um, uh, Jerusalem Bible, the New English Bible, but the NIV kind of sits in that middle between accuracy and readability. The English Standard Version, the ESV, is very accurate and readable. It leans a little bit towards the formal, um, you know, kind of, uh, kind of wooden and stiff, but it's it's way better than the New American Standard, uh, in my um, kind of in, in my for my money. Um, so I use the NIV, the New International Version. Um, I've also read the ESV. I'm currently reading the RSV. I read the Bible through uh, in a year. And so I'm currently reading, and I try to change translation from year to year. So I've read the message uh, recently, um, the ESV, reading the RSV, which is what I started with when I came to faith back in college. Um, the King James Bible, it's, it's why it is a little different. It's based on fewer manuscripts than more recent translations. Okay, so the way we get our uh, Greek and Hebrew Bibles, as it were, to translate, the Apostle Paul dictated a letter. He didn't write it, but he dictated it. It gets written down. It gets sent. It gets copied because, again, you know, we, and we don't have copying technology, so people are writing it by hand. Written, script, menu, by hand. So manuscript are written by hand. In the process of writing by hand, every once in a while, a letter gets changed or there's a smudge and nobody's quite sure, and so the manuscript copier guesses at it or maybe fills in a word themselves to kind of make it a little clearer what was going on there. So you have copies of copies, then you have families of copies, okay? So you can, so you have kind of a genealogy where uh, somebody makes a, a slight little change from what they were copying, trying to clarify, and then that gets copied and then that same process happens. So it's like a genealogy, right? You've got families of copies.
And so the Bible scholars translate from the Greek and the Hebrew based on manuscript evidence. The King James Version, I think, had something like four manuscripts that it was working off of, whereas we now, I think the, our, our contemporary translations are, are based off of thousands of manuscripts. So the King James Version is probably not the most accurate Bible, but it was the standard for so long. It wasn't the first Bible translated into English. But it was the standard because it was by the authority of King James. Uh, and so it, it kind of prevailed in the realm. And, it, and there is this beautiful poetry. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I mean, so beautiful. But, but in other places, it's just indecipherable <laughs> because we don't use that kind of language uh, anymore. Um, with regard to the gender uh, uh, issue, so um, there's times when the, the word that is underneath our English translation, uh, like Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or sit in the seat of the mockers or stand in the way of sinners, stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Most translations now will say, blessed is the one. It's not only a man who can meditate on God's word. It's a human, okay? So instead of saying mankind, these days we say things like humankind, okay? So it's just being sensitive to cultural realities. Um, God is still referred to in the masculine, but there are, are places where it's trying to soften and say this is talking to the human family, not simply to men. Okay, so that 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 would be my short answer uh, on the the, the gender uh, work in in, in Bibles. Um, how should we select our Bibles carefully, <laughs> prayerfully? But I would I would say either the English Standard Version, the New International Version, uh, the Message and maybe the new living translation, the NLT. And so it's probably good to have a range of Bibles, maybe the New American Standard as well. So New American Standard, English Standard Version, uh, NIV, um, the Message, or the NLT. Okay, those are four, four or five that'll give you a, a, a range there that'll be helpful. So I hope, I hope that's helpful. Um, the, the second question that, that comes today um, is, is really more tender. It, it's kind of a pastoral question, and um, or I, I, I hear it pastorally. And it has to do with this. It says, I feel uncomfortable praying with my husband because he doesn't ever pray aloud. I always do the same grace at meals with him, but I can pray more purposefully and openly with others. What should I do? Uh, thank you for the question. I'm not sure who sent this. Uh, but it's you speak for all of us, really, in, in so many ways. Um, the challenge of praying with family members, a spouse, a child, uh, a parent, a sibling, having spiritual conversation, what you're learning, sharing your, your joy in Christ with others, Sometimes it's, it's a struggle for really all of us. Um, 
And so, thank you for for uh, your honesty and 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 openness in in asking the question. So, it can be a real lonely and 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 spiritually um, disappointing experience with these whom we love the deepest and and are the closest. We sometimes feel so far away from them spiritually, and we feel closer to our spiritual brothers and sisters, right? Um, and uh, and some of that's because we're not all junked up <laughs> with our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, we don't share the same history that we do with parents, siblings, children, and spouses. Um, but but it is a it's an honest. Uh, there's an ache when we don't feel we can share that deepest, sweetest part of us. You know, our our, our spiritual lives. Um, for men in particular, okay, so I'm speaking now to uh, the, the person who, who wrote this question, but, but trying to want to hopefully tease this out for uh, lots of us. Uh, for, a, for a wife who is exercising spiritual leadership in the home, or at least, you know, in this case, in the table prayer, men, we, we struggle with spiritual leadership, Okay. It's just, it, we, we struggle with leadership in general, and then we struggle even more so with spiritual leadership, offering leadership in the home, um, nurturing our family in the faith. Uh, we are all made in the image of God, men and women, okay? So we bear God's image with all this glory, all this blessedness, but we also bear the brokenness, the mark of sin. Um I'm not trying to be sexist, but I am trying to speak in a way that I think is accurate and helpful. Uh, God placed Adam in the garden to till and work that garden. Eve was right there alongside. She's got work to do too. So I'm not saying women don't work. But in particular, men draw so much of their identity from their work. Okay, We're, we're made to work. There's this physical strength. We labor. Okay. But we labor with the sweat of our brow because of the fall. And so for men, competence, success, respect, these are deep core values or needs for men. To, to be competent in our work, uh, to be successful in our work, to, um, to be respected and honored, to be recognized for the work that we do. And so underneath that sits kind of the shadow side of a feeling of inadequacy, that we are not competent in our work, that we are not adequate for our work, that we are not successful in our work or respected or honored. And so it's that, it's that razor's edge of needing this, wanting this, striving for this. This is why men pour themselves into their work, sometimes without even knowing it, because it's this intrinsic, you know, made in the image of God. But when men feel inadequate and incompetent, they do not want to be embarrassed, okay? So now, take all of that from the work realm, now bring it to spiritual leadership in the home. If a man was not nurtured well, mentored well by his father or someone else of, of how to lead, how to pray out loud, how to wisely and thoughtfully and tenderly lead his family in the way of Christ, they're going to feel inadequate, incompetent for, for the task of spiritual leadership. And so rather than 
open my mouth and reveal my ignorance and my incompetence and be embarrassed and my sense of inadequacy, most men will just, will just clam up. We'll just say, you know, that, that's a real private part of me, and so I'll just, you know, leave it to you. Women, on the other hand, are, are so gifted relationally, made for relationships, made to bear the children, made to, um, to, 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 to know how to nurture and to nest. And, and again, not trying to be sexist, but acknowledge that <clears throat> women have such giftedness and facility in relationships. And so the interior world of, of, of faith and hope and love um, of feelings, <clears throat> of the yearning for relationship, finding art, a way to articulate the interior life. So the, the one who asked the question, I can pray more purposefully and openly with others. Yeah, yeah, because you're gifted in that way. <clears throat> and so the challenge is when this comes together, right? You have a gifted woman who loves Christ and is has a a, a, a facility with language and the language of prayer and gets together with other sisters in, in, in Bible study or some other fellowship setting and, and prayer is open and free-flowing and purposeful, that's happening. And then it comes dinner time and you sit down and it's like, well, you know, you're thinking your husband should maybe take the lead, but, but he's not been nurtured and doesn't, he's out maybe going to work. Again, I don't know all the circumstances, so he doesn't have time necessarily to be with other men. And even if he was with other men, they're not going to talk about their feelings because that's not what guys do. <laughs> and so it, it, you can see how it's a recipe for tension and a recipe for struggle, right? And so <clears throat> there, there's nothing wrong. In fact, I, I commend my, my sister here for, for raising this. This is such a, a, a thoughtful question. What do we do? So for men who are listening to this, <clears throat> be willing to risk yourself. Know that you are loved by your wife. Your, your sense of inadequacy or incompetence or, or uh, you know, inability um, in this area will not be mocked. Take a risk. Step out of the boat. <laughs> be like Peter. Step out of the boat and believe and say, hey, let me lead in prayer tonight. And then choose a, a verse of scripture, okay? So as the man, choose a verse of scripture. If you're not quite sure what words to say, then say words that are already prepared for us. Or say the Lord's Prayer, which has in part, give us this day our daily bread, right? So that would be an appropriate uh, table prayer. But if, if for a man who's listening to this and is in the context of a relationship at home and you maybe don't take the lead, let me invite you to step out of the boat and do that and invite your wife to say, hey, could I, could I lead uh, table prayer tonight? And I, you know, I'm not really good at this. So go ahead and admit that. Go say, I'm not really good at this, but, but go, if, if you're watching this, you're watching this through the internet. So go search internet table prayers. <laughs> and find a table prayer and then read that with your wife. What that will do will just be enormous, okay? So, so that's, that's one suggestion for a man who's, who's listening to this. Take some small, tiny step of leadership uh, with your wife and do a little bit of homework, a little bit of research. That, that little bit of effort is gonna go a very long way of, of 
of giving encouragement and love and, and support to your wife. Now, for a woman, uh, the questioner and others who is who, who's listening to this or, or watching this, I offer a passage of scripture that's going to strike many of our modern ears as sexist and demeaning to women. It is not that, okay? But the Apostle Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. So go read 1 Peter chapter 3, opening verses. Wives, in the same way, so he's talking about Christians being submissive to authority. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, uh, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So before reacting <laughs> and saying this is sexist and is putting women down, what Peter's saying is this is an age-old struggle, Okay. Women have struggled for years, for centuries, with men who either don't believe in the gospel at all or who maybe struggle to take leadership in the home. And so the counsel here is to win them over uh, with a gentle, quiet spirit, with your behavior rather than with your words. So in Christ, we don't nag people into obedience. We don't nudge them. We, we try to win them with love and humility and sacrifice and service. This goes for parents to children. Don't nag your, your kids. Don't bully your kids into the faith. In fact, if you bully them and nag them, I guarantee you'll probably run them away from the, from the faith. And this is a tension, okay? And so what I would say is take the struggle to the prayer closet, Okay, so, so to a wife yearning for her husband to either know Jesus or to take greater spiritual leadership, go to the prayer closet first. Remember that passage uh, in, in uh, Matthew 6, I think it is, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, don't pray like the Pharisees, you know, to, to you know, be recognized by others. Rather, when you pray, go into the closet, close the door, and your Father who sees and hears in secret, he'll... He will honor. He will, he will reward you. And so uh, go, go to the prayer closet and lift this and say, God, I, I, show me how to love my husband well. Show me how to win him over without a word. But also, Lord, open the eyes of his heart. Help him to, to know Jesus or to take spiritual leadership in the home. Um, and then if uh, your husband, you come to the table what you could do is the same thing. Research other table prayers. Instead of saying the same grace as, as uh, the questioner indicates, what you can do is say a different grace. Say, hey, I know we say the same thing night after night. Would you be willing to say a different prayer? And let's say this together. So instead of you, the wife, saying it alone, you're now doing something together. You've maybe done the research, but but you now find a table prayer and maybe you do that from time to time and then you print it out on a little flash card and then you say that together and it'll feel a little weird at first. Okay, well, laugh about it. Make that something fun. Say, I know this feels kind of goofy, but 
this would let let's see what happens with that. You know, get get playful around it instead of like frustrated or or angry or achy and 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 sad. Get playful around this, believing that because you're praying in the prayer closet, God, you're going to do something. Lord, show up in a, in a sweet way um, around that. So, I hope that's helpful. Um, I, I feel like I've I've said more words than maybe I should have. But I really appreciate this um, question, the second, both questions, but the second question, it speaks for all of us. And how do we struggle through uh, finding spiritual relationship with our, our family, our loved ones, our closest um, uh, people in our lives, our closest neighbors, and it feels like it we feel far away from them rather than close to them. And so it's it's something for all of us. And so let's all pray for one another in that regard that God would send renewal to each of our homes and marriages and and children and, and parents, okay? So let, let, let's close now with prayer. And so Father, thank you for this day, the opportunity to gather around your word and this uh, sweet psalm and to be reminded of the, the giftedness of so many translators who brought to us these scriptures and help us to, to not only choose a good Bible translation, but to read and inwardly digest and obey, to become doers of the word. And so may that be true for all of us. And in each of our family relationships, uh, these relationships that are so deep and meaningful to us, but sometimes where we feel the deepest ache because we're not able to share our lives in Christ. Lord, we pray for renewal, the renewing work of your Holy Spirit and the healing wounds of Jesus where our hearts are broken. Come heal our broken hearts and revive and renew us in our homes that we might be uh, your instruments of peace and blessing uh, to family members uh, near and far alike. And so, Father, hear our prayer this day as we make it in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray together saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forevermore.